Well, I'm delighted to say that to joining me on today's Godcast is Michael Hoggy Hogben. Now, Michael is an English uh, auctioneer, uh, an antiques dealer, a TV personality who has appeared on uh, Bargain Hunt and um, also on ITV's Dickinson's Real Deal. Michael has his own uh, auctioneer's, uh, what's the right word for it, Michael? What do you call it, an auction house? Yes, it is. Auction house do perfect. Yeah, so it's, it's really... It's really great to get you on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm jolly good, thank you. I'm just uh, enjoying the English sunshine, which we get every now and again in between the rain and the clouds. But yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, just enjoying it. Whereabouts in the world are you, Michael? I'm down in the Garden of England, which is Kent, and uh, our auction house, a nice train station, a Victorian train station, and it's on the main line to London. It's called Western Hangar. Right. And if you search Western Anger Auction House, you'll see what we do for a living. Yeah. But it's a bit harder nowadays because, you know, the whole world's changed in this last 18 months, hasn't it? Absolutely. So where before we could have probably 50 to 70 people uh, in an auction, you now have to do it all online or, you know, this is the only way to do it nowadays. How's, how's that been, Michael? I mean... Just in terms of church, we a lot of our stuff's gone online, and it's actually been a good thing for us because yeah. we're reaching a lot more people. How's it been for you in your in your trade? I'm going to agree with the church on this one because we are getting a lot more people uh, with serious interest. You know, not like often. Dare I say, you get time wasted where they come and just watch you do your bit because they just like a little show for nothing and have a cup of tea and a biscuit and watch you drop your gavel down every now and again and you know, maybe bid on something they think's a bargain. Whereas now you sort of seriously get interested people, uh, you know, and they want what they want and they tend to bid a lot stronger. I'm not going to lie. Mm. Where, good, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's good. And, and um, where did your interest originate from with antiques, Michael? Was it, was it a family trait or, or was it something that you picked up in later life? Where did it all begin? Well, it all started about 17 when I opened up my first uh, business. There was a, a high fashion boutique in 1972, a long time ago now. Uh, and I used to decorate the windows with antiques. Like I'd have an old piano in there, uh, some old pictures. And it was just a passion, really. Uh, and then all of a sudden, one day I came across a little picture which I was researching and I got the bug. I really did get the bug. So I went to the library, read nearly every book I could find on art. And then I read loads of other books. I thought I'd start trying to make a few quid out of this. It looks a bit of fun. Mm. It was a very general trade, the antiques trade, when I started. So you're talking 19, oh, 70, 80, 84, I started, almost before Lovejoy. Right, okay. So that's when I started in the trade. And it was different then, goodness gracious. You could get 300 quid for a Victorian bun chest, which you'll now get 30 quid for. Uh, you get 30 quid for an old bit of Chinese pottery, which will now sell for 30,000 quid. Yeah. So it's just an, un, it's an unusual world to try and make your money in. But the thing is nice is everyone has to be nice to each other to make money like that. It's not like a shop where you go and buy, like go to the supermarket, you can buy what you want. The antiques trade, you have to collect or, you know, you have to have a passion for it. And I've got a passion. Luckily enough, I've got a wife with a passion as well. So we've worked together for nearly 30 years, building up auction rooms and doing what we do. Mm. We did a big television show for BBC One. It was the first primetime television show 
uh, they'd ever done on a single person apart from Fred Dinnage. Uh, and it was called Auction Man. I mean, you, you can trace it back and try and find it. It was great fun. It's like one of those fly on the wall documentaries, um, but it was one of the first of that sort of kind, you know? Yeah. So they followed us around all our auction room and we sent all the, all the punters who were, you know, putting stuff in and how we clear houses and just opened up the trade to a lot more people like Bargain Hunt did as well, really. I mean, I've known David Dickinson since I started filming in the year 2000. So that's 21 years now, isn't it? So we've yeah. been pals for a long time. I was going to say, I was going to ask, because I think people would like to know how you got, how the TV stuff came about. Was it, was it through contacts or was it because you were, you were well known on the scene, you were a character, what was it? It's because I was young and good looking. <laughs> no, the, uh, when I had my auction, we had a big auction room in Folkestone. We had uh, two floors of paradise, I called it, 5,000 square feet. And Bargain Hunt had just started filming. It was the very first series. Yeah, and David and his team all came up, and, and they still do it now. They took they have a chat with the auctioneer, saying, "What do you think of this? What do you think of that?" And uh, I we were having a chat, and I said, "David, I burn it. It's rubbish." And I was just brutally honest. And the, the series producer liked my style, and she said to me, "How do you feel about being an expert?" I said, "Yeah, I don't mind. Does it pay well?" She said, "No, but I'll make you famous." I said, "Oh well, I'll settle for that then." <laughs> and uh, that's how my TV career started. Right. Okay. And were you, were you always a bit of an entrepreneur? You said you, you had a, a clothing business which you sold at a young age. Was was that kind of entrepreneurial spirit always within you to make a few quid? And, and, yeah, and, why yeah. did, and why did you shift, Michael, from clothing to antiques? Well, we got a bit of time, so I can tell you all about it, can't I? When I was 17, my mother died when I was six years old. Right. Uh, and my, then my grandmother died and then my grandfather died. Okay. And because of that roll-on effect, I inherited, when I was 17, 400 quid. Uh, because my dad and my stepmother went to Australia and left me and my brother behind. So I said to my brother, Jeff, give me your money. I'll open up a shop. If I make any money, I'll open up another shop. And that was when, in the days when, you know, there were mavericks. And I was a maverick, I suppose. So I go to London three times a week, buy clothing, bring it back and tell it in my little boutique in Cheriton and it was very trendy it was like the King's Road of Kent if you know what I mean it really yeah. took off so within three years I had eight shops all through Kent and 50 staff and I was about 21 years old driving around a nice big Jaguar and enjoying life and but then I realized that you know it wasn't all about working really I'd be working from seven in the morning till eight at night doing VAT returns wages, PAYE, buy-in, yeah. distributing stock, stock taking. It wasn't as easy as it made I made it look, really. So when I got to about 25, 28, I suppose, I can't remember now, it was after about 10 years, one of my, my accountants, we used to have a team of accountants, said to me, Michael, you know you've lost 50,000 quid this year. I said, really? And he said, you've got a stock holding of X amount of pounds. And he said... Um, the main reason you're losing this money is the staff. It's all people coming into the shop and just nicking stuff. So there were a lot of things going on. And I just, you know what? I went in one day, just closed the whole lot down. I said, that's it, it's over. And that's when I closed it all down. But here's a bizarre thing for you. The shop I sold in Folkestone, yeah. in church, I sold it to another boutique. And it had a charm of this Victorian mirror, which is where I got all the 
antique passion from uh, was in there. And my wife, my now wife, used to work for that boutique. And she used to look in that mirror and she loved it so much, she took it home when they closed down. And when I first met her, she said to me, did you remember that red mirror? So I said, yeah, she said, I've still got that. I said, really? So is that fate? Does that happen in life? <laughs> I think you know, so. I mean, yeah. just fate. So. That, that is lovely. That's a nice story. And, yeah, and then after that, I opened up a wine bar, the very first wine bar in Kent. Right. Uh, that was in the days when I could go to France and all day long, I could have a glass of wine and a chunk of bread and a bit of cheese. Yeah. But as, if I came to England, no one was serving wine in those days. It was just beer and spirits and... And you couldn't go in a in a place like that. It was open from ten till two and mm. six o'clock till ten o'clock. I, mean, I don't know if you remember. You don't look old enough, but you might do. Um, but that's what it was like. So I said, you know what? We should open up a wine bar to myself. So I opened up a wine bar with a, a partner, which the partner didn't work out, but the wine bar worked out. So um, he well, he he cost me a lot of money, really. So that's when I had my nervous breakdown, which made me think about my life a bit seriously. And I think. You know, I've worked hard for all these years. I took a bit of time out and that's when I got into antiques because it was a very gentle trade. And what was what was that time um, like when you took some time out, Michael, when you like you said you had a breakdown? Was <clears throat> was it uh, was it just a break you needed or was it a full kind of uh, mental? Uh, no, it was a massive, it was a massive, massive meltdown, massive meltdown, uh, aided by a few other things which you have when you're young. So uh, there was a few things going on as well. So I went to Australia for the first time to see my mum and dad, my stepmother and my father. And they uh, they didn't recognise me where I'd lost so much weight. And they immediately took me under their wing. And uh, six months later, I was back in action. And I was working for a shop. It's the only time I've ever had a job in my life, apart from the Channel Tunnel, which is another story. Um, I was working for a company called Pearson Swan. And I started off as just working as a little shoe shop. And because I'd had shoes and boutiques going on, I knew what to do. Mm. Within a week, they'd made me assistant manager. Within a month, they'd made me manager. Within two months, so I was running seven shops for them. And it was all starting again. I thought, I really don't want this. So I came back to England and started getting a, a different lifestyle, really, you know, looking at antiques and art. And so I yeah. came back from Australia, a fully recovered man. That's good news, and, and yeah, it was. Well, we can't we can't let the channel the, ch the channel tunnel story go. So, what was what was the story behind? Well, so, you, you're not an expert at art until you've actually bought bought and sold a few duff ones, and I actually did that in the first couple of years. I'm not going to lie, mm. uh, and I ended up with a five grand overdraft. Okay, and someone said to me, "If you go to the channel tunnel, there employing people, you can earn six hundred quid a week." This was like probably a long time ago now. I can't remember now. And I went up there and they used to have an induction course. And I thought, I've never applied for a job. So I just went, rolled up there and hoped for the best. There's about 50 other people there. And they called out all these names from a, a name thing. And I was just the last guy standing because obviously my name wasn't on it. And he said, what's your name? I said, Ogben. He said, well, who, who said to you? And I, I had this name of a guy and I said, oh, so-and-so said, come. He said, all right, in you go. So I had a three-day induction course. And uh, I said to her, they said, what, what job do you want? I said, what is going to earn me the most money? They said, hand tunneling. I said, I'll have it. He said, are you sure? <laughs> he said, you'll be working with some pretty tough Irish people. Uh, and they're the people who go in, first of all, and do, you know, they drill in and all that. Lot. 
I said, yeah, I don't mind anyway. So I did that for about four months and earned enough to pay them the uh, overdraft off. And then I took great pleasure in walking from M16, as it was called, and anyone who's listening knows the tunnel, 1.6 metres out after resigning to this Irish guy who I actually really didn't like. <laughs> so he was a pretty nasty bit of work. Right. But you have to work, don't you? you got to do what you got to do, aren't you? I told him what I thought of him, and I walked out. <laughs> Good on you. And that was it, really. Yeah. 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 And then uh, to help me open my first auction room, which is what I did do, uh, a pal of mine had a van, and he uh, had a bathroom and toilet shop called Dunn's Plumbing and Heating. And I said to Stuart, I said, I really need a van. He said, come and work for me in the morning, 7 till 12, doing deliveries, and yeah. you can have the van afterwards. I said, deal. So for two years, I was doing deliveries from 7 till 12, home for a kit from 12 till 2, and then 2 till 6 doing the auction room. Took me two years before I could afford to actually take any money out of the business. Yeah. Can you can you remember the? Um, I was wondering, Michael, if you can remember the first item where you actually made a, a decent profit. You thought, yeah, I'm getting my head around this now. I can make a few quid out of this game. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, you do, you don't make a profit as an auctioneer because you take a percentage from the buyers and a percentage from the sellers. So it was one of those lovely scenarios where you never own anything. You just take a little bit from everyone. So there is no big profit. There's lots of nice stories of things I've sold. Uh, when I was first starting off as in the art world, I was lucky enough to meet a man in Agnews in London, who were the big art dealers up there. I don't know if you know Agnews in London, do you? No, I don't. I'm not an expert. They were in Bond Street. And right. I, used to buy, I used to buy stuff in the provinces for them, which is Kent, Surrey and Sussex. And they would um, buy off me in their Bond Street showroom and probably make a lot of money out of it. I was lucky enough to sort of learn quite a lot from this one man who explained to me about restoration, canvases, uh, egg pigments, eggshell white, periods and fakes, forgeries, you know, and a lot of, he taught me a lot really. He said, well, I'm retiring in a year. Mm. He said, I can tell you're passionate about it. He said, come up whenever you want. And I was thinking like, <clears throat> he was thinking, excuse me, <clears throat> he was thinking I'd probably go up there once a month. I was up there every other day. Right. We'd sit in this palatial place with his little art and he'd explain to me about any picture which I took up there. Good learning curve. Yeah. And where does your what's your relationship with art, Mark, Michael? Is it is it kind of how much <clears throat> can be made out of the piece? Or or are you have you got a real interest in, in the creative side of it and the beauty of and the skill of art? Where where does it begin and end for you? It definitely isn't just for profit, it's definitely a passion. Uh, I'm an art agent as well for a very famous artist and I organise all of his art sales, uh, all of his website exhibitions. Um, and he's also been my personal friend for 25 years. So that's Jim Moyer, a.k.a. Vic Reeves. So we've been doing business together <clears throat> in the art world for about six, ten years now. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the celebrity artist because I, a guy who's came on on the Godcast, Mike, was a guy called uh, Sean Wilson, who was a guy who was in uh, Coronation Street called uh, Martin Platt. He was in Coronation yeah. years. And he's, and, he, and he's making a good living out of art. Do you think it, it helps if there's, an, if there's a name behind the picture and, and a story to go I, with it? I think it's a skill 
you've got to have a skill set. I mean, Jim, I call him Jim, but his name's Vic, but his name's Vic Reeves stage, but he's Jim Moyer because that's his name. So if I refer to Jim, that's what I'm talking about. Um, but Jim is also a very, very talented artist. He's collected by Damon Hurst uh, and a lot, a lot of um, a lot of the major players, you know. So they recognise his talent, and talent will always come through. Certainly, you can do some scribbles with your name, and I know people who are in the media who say to me, "Oh, would you be my art agent?" and if I don't like their art, I wouldn't do it. So I wouldn't do it, really. I'm, I'm quite happy just doing what I do with Jim, really. And, and it's that, a very big business. Yeah. Where, where did, where, sorry if I missed it. Where, where did you meet Jim? How did your relationship evolve then? Was it, was um, it? We met 25 years ago. He was uh, he was he used to come to the auction room. And we we both got a passion for Chablis and uh, cigarettes in those days. And we'd sit down and have a couple of bottles of Chablis and a cigarette. <clears throat> and just talk about art and antiques and we've both got a passion for it really yeah and we've been we've we've done a, quite a few things together over the years really um mm. just numerous things in numerous cities really so we we often see each other most weekends really that's nice to hear and, and have yeah. you, where's your um what's your own capabilities with a with a canvas michael can you are you any good <laughs> <laughs> the only thing i can do with a canvas is sell it <laughs> I can't no I really am mega untalented when it comes to I suppose it's the the the, the age old story you know you can write the songs but you can't sing them yeah well Jim can do the artwork and I can sell it <clears throat> so we're the ideal team really we're the, we're the Lennon and McCartney of the art world fantastic and, and have you how, how good is your eye would you say Michael so you know we, we've got a beautiful hall in Burnley called Tammy Hall there's some you know, very kind of localised artwork in there. Could could you walk in somewhere like that and go, you know, you could pick out the kind of the real gems in the room uh, and the ones that might be worth a few quid, or do you have to study over it and, and you know, give it a really good once-over before you, you kind of come to a conclusion? That's a good question, really, because people often ask me a similar sort of question to that. It's an inbuilt talent. It's like when you walk past something, you get the hairs on your arms that stand up, or your eyes to just recognise what you're looking at. Can I just get a glass of water? Of course, yeah. Do you say? So where did we get to? Just refresh me. We were just saying, uh, if anybody's just joining us, about uh, you know about having a trained eye or not. And you were saying it kind of comes with experience about walking into a room and looking yeah. at it. Definitely experience it. Anyone who wants to get involved in this trade, I would definitely recommend it. But what I would say to them is specialise in one area and the other areas will come naturally. So if, for instance, you like silver, learn everything there is about silver, the hallmarks, the date, how to date, the fakes, the fortunes, what's not silver, what is silver. And as you're learning about that silver, you'll see other things in the background, which if they take your attention, you can learn about those as well. Mm. So where I used to like art, <clears throat> I would go into antique shops in the 80s and I'd be looking at a picture on the wall and I had a passion for that. But the guy I'm dealing with had a passion for 18th century oak furniture. So we'd be having a chat and he'd be telling me all about his 18th century uh, Welsh dressers and chest of drawers and walnut veneer and pine lined. And without knowing it, when I opened my auction room, some of that stuff had rubbed off on me. So when I went to clear people's houses, which is what we do, 
Uh, we take it all to the auction room and sell it for the estate. Uh, all of a sudden, I realised I knew a Victorian chest. I knew a Georgian chest. I knew what a Welsh dresser was. Mm. And so, so throughout the years, when you've sold millions of pounds worth of lots, you're going to get to know what's good and what's not. And and what, um, Michael, what, <coughs> what constitutes an antique? Uh, is it is is it its age? Is it is it its collectability? Is it kind of uh, if it's a limited edition? What what actually constitutes an antique? Officially, a hundred years old is an antique. Right. Okay. But that doesn't mean to say it's worth money because no. I get lots of people say, "Oh, my mum's had this hundred years," and you find out they've actually had it twenty years. Mm. Um, but uh, it's all about collectibles as well. It's, it's antiques and collectibles. So something can be twenty five years old and be worth money. You know, something can be worth uh, as much. <clears throat> like if you had a Damonhurst print 25 years ago, it cost you 1,500 quid, that's probably 25,000 quid now. Yeah. And your, and your role in the auction house, other than bringing down the hammer, is what? Trying to get the best deal for the person that's providing the item. You know, you, you, I suppose you want to pitch it somewhere where you expect to see some growth and... Um, or at least get yeah. the back. Is that, is that the kind of the, how it works? Well, I mean, auctions don't work like that. I don't know where you've got that perspective from, but an auction really is where you take everything to a, an auction house. Yeah. It gets catalogued, so you catalog it. You then give that description to the internet for the people to view, and the people then decide how much it's worth. So I can think it's worth 500 quid, but probably it'll only sell for 200 quid. I can think it's 100 quid and it'll sell for 500 quid. You never know the price of anything until the person buys it, but it has to be sold. So it's not about, there's no real science in pricing stuff for auctions. A lot of the times you give a, come and buy me estimate, which is best. Yeah. And is there, is there any things that you can think of, Michael, where they've been up for auction and they've gone way beyond what you expected or what the, the customer expected? Is there any kind of many, 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 many times that happens? You know, I've had people with their chin on the ground where it's gone for so, so much money. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where they think they get five hundred quid and they end up getting fifteen thousand quid. Mm -hmm. You know, loads of things. You know, yeah. Over the years, it's and, nice. Yeah, and just trying to try and give this some sort of religious aspect, <coughs> Michael. Um, religious artifacts. Is there is there much value in? religious artifacts so you know i've got lo loads of friends in churches and things and they've got stuff that is very old but very particular to the church that they're from um yeah there was one chap who megabucks is there really yeah yeah religious artifacts uh one of the hot areas you know because some of the grand old masters were part of the um early religious art really if you think about some of the the, you know, the Sistine chapels and mm. so stuff which we've got in the English churches uh, it's always going to have a value to it because it's got a history to it uh, and I like it, I like icons I'm a collector of icons, I like icons uh, I like religious artefacts as well Yeah. but value wise, if you've shown me something now and said Michael how much is that worth I'll give you a rough idea Yeah. what do you collect? Well, I collect uh, I collect vinyl, Michael. Nice. Now I don't know. So if... What's your most expensive one? Um, well, I've got a few bits up in the loft, actually. Um, I, I'm I'm a big Depeche Mode fan, and so I've got most of their stuff on vinyl, all their LPs on vinyl. 
yeah. I've got um, I've got an old, got quite a few old picture discs up there um, from the eighties uh, that yeah I, I haven't seen around very much. Um, yeah, eighties synth bands. I don't know if there's any. But I've got this here as well. Uh, I, I just thought I'd show you this. This is um, a nineteen seventy four match day program. Um, yeah. Because as we're recording this, just so people know, uh, we're, we're England are doing exceptionally well in the Euros. Um, they are. This is an England versus Argentina football programme, Michael. Um, 22nd of May. It costs 10 pence on the day. There, yep. are, there are a few... Um, I'm just showing this to Michael. There are a few autographs yeah, lovely. on the programme as well. Now, I this, have, yeah. absolutely... Is that worth anything? Depends who the autographs are. If they're dead, they're worth more money. Really? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you, that's the sort of thing I'd need to see and go have a flip through to find out if it's worth money. I would say it's definitely worth more than 10p you pay for it. <laughs> well, that's, that's the start. Yeah. The start. But some of the autographs, um, it needs to be kept in proper conditions, you yeah. know, like you put that probably in a little plastic coating thing. Yeah. But all that stuff. But I'm not a football buff. It's my worst subject. Yeah. But what, about, don't what, like what about vinyl, Michael? Because, I mean, it, it just, most of it just sits up there. My wife keeps yeah. telling me to get rid of it, and I just can't because it, it means a lot to me. This story is... Please don't get rid of it. Please don't get rid of it. Because you can see behind me, you'll see my vinyl. It's um, a nice record deck. This is the one we were playing last time. Wham. Oh, yeah. My wife loves that. Um, and uh, well, I've got some really good vinyls. Have a month. Thank you. Um, but this is what I'm playing. This is what I'm playing at the moment, Michael. No, it's a bit stat. I'm, I know state. I've met status quo. This is from a triple album, the triple album set that I've got. It, it's very well played, but it, it it's um it's kind of I think it's like early eighties maybe when it was released eighty two, but that's uh, yeah. Condition, condition is paramount with uh, LPs. Yeah, the most collected ones, are the ones which are played, never, never played, just looked at. Yeah. Um, here's the deal. So, in the auction room about four years ago. Jim, who knows his vinyl a lot better than I know my vinyl, I, I often use it. He walked to my ultimate and he saw the David Bowie with the lady when he's in the dress. Do you know that one? Yeah. yeah. Do you know how much it's worth? No, no idea. No, me neither. <laughs> I said to Jim, that's worth a tenner. He said, you, he said, put two noughts on it. I said, you are kidding me. Anyway, I put it into the auction. It did a thousand, one thousand two hundred pounds. Wow. One album. David Bowie in a dress reclining in the honky dory one or wherever it was, or the man who fell to earth. And then yeah, not long ago, even a year ago, we had some classical music in. And uh, that is the hardest thing to value. So all I do, I just put it on a shelf. I take a photograph of every single title and the names and that. And one of those did about 4,000 quid. Mm. So I can't, I can't second guess it. No, I've got one other one other for you. My brother has um, a, a magnum of champagne with nice. uh, with the with the all the up to Thatcher, I think it was. Uh, they'd all signed the box, so the Thatcher, Major, and all the other Conservative in between. I can't remember them all now. Is that worth a few quid? 
if it's a vintage, so it would have a year on it, yes. Yeah. If it's a non-vintage, it's got 10 years of its life left. So it would have had a 10-year lifespan. Okay. Vintages, and they must be laid down. If it's not laying down, then it will uh, oxidise and look all yellow, like someone's had a wee in it. Right, okay. So, and if there's no bubbles, when you hold it up, there should be bubbles in champagne, even though it's in the bottles. If you turn it upside down, you see a few bubbles coming up, you'll know it's still drinkable. So it's the champagne that has the value and not the fact that it's been signed by prime ministers, is it? Yeah, that, that would definitely have some value to it. But I'd be more interested in the wine than the champagne. Well, it would have some. It would definitely have historic um, collectability. With the, obviously Thatcher's got a autograph. Yeah, uh, all of those. It, it would just make a fair few quid, depending on who signed it. And, and just one, one last one. I've just thought of it when you talk about alcohol. With single malts, Michael, do they? Do they? Yeah. Hottest area to collect at the moment, single malts, yeah. went up by 37% last year. And, what, and why is that? And only, only collect single malts because they're just such a rarity in America and Japan and Hong Kong, uh, manic to get single malts. Yeah. So the one to get is Macallan. Right, okay. That's a good one. And there's a few of those obscure uh, distilleries up in Scotland which could make megabucks because of the way they make them. Yeah. Because they, they, but they sell a big, big area, and we sell a lot of whiskey and wine and pork. I've got, I've got a little bottle of, um, of, of, a, of a distillery from Isla that, that hadn't opened. And they were kind of the pre uh, limited edition before they actually went on sale. And I think the distillery's probably been open about 15, 20 years now. Is that worth hanging on yeah. to? Then? Yeah, definitely. As long as it's single malt, not a blend. Yeah, no, they're all. So if it says whiskey, if it says whiskey blend, then drink it if you like whiskey. Uh, if it says single malt, keep it. Yeah. It will never deteriorate and yeah. it will never improve. It will always be from the day it was bottled. The taste will be exactly the same. Yeah, so good. in twenty five thousand years time, that whiskey will still be whiskey. Yeah, it, it's great just having these kind of because people. Uh, my own mum just you know she thinks everything's worth a fortune, but you know I'm, I, I try and look beyond that, but. It is a good tip, though, isn't it? It's don't assume it's worth nothing. You know, it gets, gets stuff by you. Would that be your advice, Michael? Absolutely. I mean, there's no... There's, it costs nothing for me to value something. No. People rock up to my auction any day of the week and they can show me something. I'll give them a rough idea on what it's worth. And can they do that online as well? So if somebody's got something, they think, oh, you know, can they... Well, to be honest with you, I'm a bit on the back pedal, so I'm not doing a lot of um, work unless I have to, really. Yeah. So, um, but they, if, I, if I can help someone, I will. If they come via your podcast and say, I was talking to God the other day and he said, come and get this valued, then I will. All right, okay. God, <laughs> sent, God, God sent me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God said, how much is this worth? <laughs> so, so, Michael, just talk, let's talk a bit about the telly stuff because uh, the, these antique shows, they are, they're incredibly popular, aren't they? They are like... Um, they're like cookery shows, aren't they? There's there's loads of them about, but yeah. I, but they're, they're so popular. What do you think it is? Do you think it is that bottom? How much is it worth that does it for the show? Well, they've all got the same sort of stuff at home because with Dickinson's real deal, we deal with bottom end stuff. It's not like the Antiques Roadshow. It's like real people with real things 
and real money. It's our money. If we buy it, it's our money we're spending. Mm. The show don't give you the money. It's your money. <clears throat> and people say, I'm tired. I said, well, you'd be tired if it was your money. They, everyone wants more. They say, well, a little bit more. I can have a little bit more. Of course you want more. Of course you want more. We all want more. I want less. You want more. Let's meet in the middle. You know, so I think that people like that sort of banter. I think people also like to see things that they've got at home, like a Wade Wims pig or, a, you know, anything like ridiculously bizarre or obscure. Mm. But they, I don't think they ever wait in those sort of shows. People love them. Yeah. And do people bring on the, you know, I'm talking about when I was a kid growing up, the old Hornsey Pottery and, and uh, the Pendelphin. Uh, oh, well, they're my nightmare. Pendelphin is one of those things, a bit like Wade, which had a high and then had a dramatic low. And people are bought when it's high and they you, you sell it now and it's a dramatic low. It's like Dalton figurines, Worcester figurines. People were paying 100, 200 quid from a few years ago. You'd be lucky in a charity shop and get them for a tenner now. Yeah, yeah. It's sad but true. And a lot of older people um, who give it to their children say, oh, I've got this lovely collection of Dalton. I paid 15 grand for it. I probably got 1,500 quid on a good day. And it's like coins, you know, coins and stamps. Yeah. First day covers, that's another one. Don't collect first day covers. Do not collect first day covers. It's the worst thing in the world to collect. Anything which is in a, a tabloid magazine, buy one now and pay me 80 quid later. Do not buy. Steer clear of all that. Yeah. <laughs> and but, the, the newspapers are hate me, but. Yeah. But what about things like, the, I mean, there was a phase, wasn't there, 18 months, two years ago, you know, we used to get things come through the door, sell you gold. Is there still, still an appetite for, for stuff like that? Gold is still red hot. Yeah. Gold is just a, a stable diet of all trade now. You can buy and sell gold. You can be a, a bullion dealer and just make a few quid. You don't make a lot of money, but if you're buying it at, say, 15, 18 quid a gram and selling it for 20 quid a gram, it just adds up. It's just, just a little profit. It's like being a greengrocer but having gold instead. Yeah, yeah. And you still get a buzz for it, Michael. You still love it, do you? Not as much as I used to. I mean, I still like having a chat about it, but I don't like all the hard work anymore. <laughs> I'm 70 next year. No. So, you know, I don't want to be lifting furniture and things like that. So we don't sell furniture anymore. No. And what about and what about you and Faith, Michael? Have you ever been a, a church goer? Has it ever been part of your your life? I knew you'd ask that. I've got a question, haven't I? So what's your what's your take? Sure. You what's study, my take? You study old things, so what's your... You know? I read the Bible every night. Oh, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> have you, have I, you don't dis, I don't disbelieve and I don't um, believe. Okay. I'm on the fence. That's all right. Good place to be. Yeah, yeah I think there's, there's definitely something out there. I believe in spirits and we. I lost my dad last year. I lost my brother last year. I lost my mother-in-law this year. And I know they're around me. I can feel my mother-in-law most days. Mm. So I, I believe in the spirit world, really. Okay. They don't go away without saying goodbye. And also think, how can I be this brainy if I've never been on the earth before? So someone's given me this brain to use again. Yeah. And I'll give it on to someone else one day. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try and 
argue. I'm just, I just find it fascinating how people perception of faith or what it, what it means to them is sometimes very different what it means to somebody else. And I think uh, what it means to the individual is the most important thing, you know, and I think it's really just interesting yeah. to hear stuff like that, Michael. Let me, let me just ask you about your friendship with Vic Reeves. I mean, I, I love Vic and Bob as comics. Does he, is, he, is it a friendship or is he a guy that makes you, I nearly swore then, does he make you laugh a lot, Michael? Or, or no, it's he... only a friendship. <laughs> it's just pure friendship. Yeah. We just, uh, we just like a couple of guys who go down the pub together, but we don't go to the pub, we go to a restaurant. You know, we go out for a drive in the cars and we're just a couple of pals, really. Yeah. He was best man at my wedding 21 years ago. And uh, he did a great John Dunn speech, a nice poem. He's yeah. very articulate. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's lovely. It's just nice, nice for people to hear about friendships and interview the few folk who've got... Uh, well, the thing about yeah. it is, well, I'm lucky, really. I'm very lucky because... It opens a few doors. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you normally get a good table. <laughs> and I push Jim in first. So you go in first, Jim, and we get a little decent table. You know, so, but um, that's, but you know, the, about the only bonus for ego. You can get a few perks. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's next for you? You've got auctions coming up, Michael? Yeah, we've got probably three or four auctions this year. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got four exhibitions with Jim this year. We're doing London, uh, we're doing Mayfair, we're doing Newcastle and Manchester. And next year we've got Cornwall, um, Jersey. So it's quite busy with the art, really, just doing, setting up exhibitions and getting everything framed. And, you know, it's just quite a lot goes into it, really. Yeah. And just maybe a final tip, Michael, for my daughter who's about to study, do A-level art. What, what's your tip for, for artists out there? Just keep learning the craft and doing it. Yeah, no, I would say find your own um, find your own talent and just don't let people put you up in your own talent. Don't let them persuade you to do something which you don't want to do. Stick to your guns. Do you know, I think that I'm really glad you said that because she does, you know, as they're being educated, they do have to kind of, well, certainly GCSE, they'll have to kind of do what they're told and... and you know, and, and I don't want her to lose her ability because she's a, she's a lovely artist. And I don't yeah. want her to lose that. So I must show her this and hopefully she'll take encouragement. Yeah, when does it come out by chance and where is it or what happens with it? Well, there is. Uh, well, people are yeah. like, this comes out um, uh, once a week online on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on all social media platforms. It's the Godcast. Yeah, so it's been going, started it in lockdown, Michael. And I've had some. And how long have you been doing it? Uh, about six months, but we've had some fantastic guests. You, you, oh, yeah. You're now part of that community. Yeah, we've had, um, who have we had? We've had uh, George Galloway, we've had Alistair Campbell, uh, Edwina Curry, we've had uh, Anthea Turner. Ooh, politicians. Yeah, no, we've had Anthea Turner, we've had Eamon Holmes, who was the very first one who did, you know, just follow me on Twitter. And so he, um, he came on and it, it helped me get other guests. And I've had comedians, I've had uh, Justin Morehouse. Um, I'm interviewing later on today, Michael Alexander O'Neill, talking about musicians from from days gone by. And uh, yeah, cool. I'm not sure if I've got any of his, his vinyl upstairs, but uh, yeah. So well, you keep up with the success. I wish you all success in the world. Yes, and it sounds like you don't need much uh, help with that, Michael. Something had a fantastic career. 
I do really appreciate you coming on the Godcast. And uh, no worries at all. This will be out online, and uh, I'll tweet you, Michael, and let you know when it's out. All right. Lovely. You take care, brother. Thanks for your time. Bye. God bless you. Bye. See ya. Bye.